Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Tuesday, November the 28th, 2023. It is currently 9.34 p.m. Central Time, and I am coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Honestly, I, I, I was getting ready to say it's Thursday, and then I'm like, I don't even know what day it is. It is Tuesday. Earlier, I thought I was saying November the 23rd. When I, I, I went back and listened, I actually said November the 28th, and then there I got ready to say, welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, November the 28th, but it is Tuesday, November the 28th. But whether it's Tuesday, whether it's Thursday, whether it's Friday, whether it's the 23rd, the 28th, the date, the time, not the most important thing other than to add kind of a historical stamp, a time stamp, a date stamp when someone listens to this later on. If they listen to this from a year from now, they know exactly when it occurred. So for clear, for clarity, for clarification... It is Tuesday, November the 28th, 2023. It is now currently 9.35 p.m. Central Time. And yes, I'm still in the Theology Central studio located still right here in Abilene, Texas. All right. All of that. Is that clear? Is that clear? Is that clear? I I don't know if that was very clear, but it, it, it fits perfectly to my transition, which is we're... We're reviewing something that I don't think is very clear. In fact, I think they're making it much more convoluted and much more complicated. And I think there may be a reason why, because if you're going to criticize something, if you're going to say something is wrong, you know, it may not be to your best interest if you're going to just try to prove it wrong, wrong to really do a fair explanation of something like if you if you make it a little muddy if you don't make it seem like it makes sense if you if you try to demonstrate that it's not very logical then it's much easier see, to to tell everyone see why would you believe that it's ridiculous it makes no sense it's confusing it's confounding it's it's you know it's it's convoluted it's it's just a mess if you can if you demonstrate it that way if you present it that way then your audience will be like right who would believe that that's confusing that's convoluted that that's a mess why would i believe that but it's also a very much a technique that you could possibly use in a debate in other settings, right? Where you, you kind of create, I hate to say this, but you create a straw man and then it's easy to knock down. Now, I'm not saying this was the intention of what we have been listening to. And I will explain in a minute. I'm not saying that that's the intention of certain individuals, but it, it, sometimes it happens. Maybe not intentionally, but it, 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 it happens because you're trying to tell people this view is wrong. So when you explain the view, you don't want to explain it maybe in its best light. You want to explain it in its weakest light. And you want to show its weaknesses. You want to show the cracks in it. So it's much easier just to push apart. And I feel that that's what we have been listening to. This is part two. And part one, we started reviewing a podcast episode that a listener sent to me and they asked me to review it. And so we started. We didn't make it very far, but we got a, I think as far as we got into it, it began in my, in my estimation, they're just not being very fair. They're just, they're, they're presenting something, I think, in a, in a, in a incorrect way. 
the, 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 the name of the podcast episode is Zionism, right? Zionism. And they are going after what they believe is Christian Zionism, Christian Zionist. And, and their definition of a Christian Zionist or Christian Zionism is anyone who believes that God made literal promises to a literal nation of Israel that will be literally fulfilled in the, his, in, in the future. So anyone who believes that God made literal promises to a literal, the literal nation of Israel and they will be literally fulfilled in the future, you're a Zionist. You've held, you've, you've accepted Zionism. You, you, you are confused. Now they did go on and say, well, they're kind of referencing dispensationalism, but they keep going back to the idea of Christian Zionism. It's Zionism. You're a Zionist. And it's wrong because, well, it's, it's, I guess, a mishandling of scripture if you believe God made literal promises to a literal nation that were, that's going to be literally fulfilled in a literal future. If you, if you hold that literally, then, then you're all of these things. And I pushed back and I'm like, you know what? I don't care about this, called me a Zionist, call it Christian Zionism, call it Christian dispensationalism. That is a smokescreen. It really comes down to this. It's not about these theological systems and these theological labels. It comes down to when I take my Bible and I start reading the Old Testament, I'm like, oh, that's a promise God made to Israel. Hmm. Is that a literal promise? Well, he made other promises to Israel. They seem to be pretty literal. He seemed to indicate that they were going to go into captivity. That captivity was pretty literal to a literal na- to the literal nation of Babylon. They went into a, they went into literal captivity to a literal Egypt. They were literally taken out of captivity to Egypt. Literally came back from Babylonian captivity. Literally rebuilt a temple. Literal, 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 literal. All of these things seem to be very, very literal over and over and over and over and over. But at the same time, when all of this discussion about Egypt and nations and Babylon and Assyrians and all of this discussion where everything Everything is literal, 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 literal. There's also promises made to Israel. Well, that has never been fulfilled. And at that point, you have a hermeneutical decision in front of you. Well, you either one say, okay, that's, those are promises, but they're not given to literal Israel. They're given to spiritual Israel. But because of the nature of the promises, like land, you have to go, but, but, but it's not, it's not a literal promise. It's a spiritual promise. So you either can choose to say it's not a literal nation of Israel. It's a spiritual nation of Israel. And it's not literal promises. It's spiritual promises. And it was all fulfilled in the church. That's one hermeneutical option. Or the other hermeneutical option is to say, hmm, I'm going to go literal nation of Israel, literal promise being fulfilled in a literal way, just like all of the other issues seem to be very literal. Those are, it's, it really comes down to a hermeneutical decision. You can sit there and refer to it as Zionism and dispensationalism. You can call it whatever you want, but it doesn't change it at its very base level. It just comes down to how are you going to interpret it? We were told in this podcast that we were reviewing that Christian Zionist, Christian Zionism, that dispensationalist, that they te- they deny progressive revelation. This was the claim they made. If you hold to a literal promise to a literal Israel that will be literally fulfilled, you supposedly deny progressive revelation. They did not quote one dispensational source. They didn't quote anything. They didn't. 
In fact, in some ways, I think they didn't even really fairly, they didn't mention the Schofield Bible, but even if you look at the Schofield Bible, he states clearly in the 1917 version of the Schofield Reference Bible that all revelation, that everything, in a sense, is progressing towards its ultimate fulfillment in Christ. But they didn't, they didn't even bother to quote that. They didn't, they didn't bother to quote anything. They just read a verse from Hebrews chapter one that God spoke to the fathers in different ways. Now he speaks to us through the son or like, boom, see, there's progressive revelation. And if you hold to dispensationalism, if you hold to literal promises to a literal Israel that will be literally fulfilled, you deny that. And I, I, that is, that is, I don't even know. I don't even know what to say. I don't even know how to critique that. I know of all the schools I've gone to, I've gone to schools that were amillennial, but I've gone to plenty of schools that were dispensational, premillennial, who hold to literal promises to a literal Israel. And in every single situation, I was taught the concept of progressive revelation. I've never been taught against it. I've never been taught that. So I, I don't know where they just link these two together. If you believe in literal promises to a literal Israel that will be literally fulfilled, you deny progressive revelation. I don't know... That's a huge claim, and they offered literally zero evidence to back it up. But then we were told that if you hold to literal promises to a literal Israel that will be literally literally fulfilled, like say Ezekiel 40 through 48, where you have that very detailed description of a temple being rebuilt where there appears to be sacrifices, if you somehow believe that that's literally going to be fulfilled literally in the future, well, according to them, then you, you also deny the sufficiency of Christ. You deny the sufficiency of his sacrifice. You did, which again, I understand that that's problematic. I understand believing that can be difficult, but it doesn't mean that people who hold to it are saying that Christ's sacrifice wasn't sufficient. That's why they are going to have animal sacrifices. No, they would offer a different explanation. You may not like their explanation, but I don't think you're going to find anyone who's dispensationalist is going to say, oh, I don't believe Christ's sacrifice is sufficient. So, I mean, that, I, I think that's a, I don't think that's an accurate uh, representation. And so that's as far as we made it. So we're going to go back to this podcast. We're going to continue through. Now, remember, if you're brand new to my sermon reviews, podcast reviews, I don't listen to them in advance because that comes across as rehearsed and produced. I like it to be very organic, very real, just in real time and real time. I listen and I react and we try to talk about it. All right. Sometimes that means I don't know what to say. Sometimes I may start saying something and they will clarify it later in, in an episode. We never know what's going to happen. We really, it's like we're sitting down together as friends listening to this and I'm pausing it and we're talking about it. I'm pausing it and we're talking about it. And uh, hopefully you find that beneficial, but I have no problem once a review is over saying, let's circle back and let's, that we talked about that in the review. Now let's build on it. Let's do a Bible study exercise or let's, let's do something with that. So if we need to, we will do that. So are you ready? All right. We're reviewing a podcast on Zionism. According to them, any, if you hold to Christian Zionism, if you're a Zionist, then here's your issue. You ready? <laughs> you believe that God made literal promises to literal Israel that will be literally fulfilled. And if you do, if you believe that, according to them, you basically misinterpret the Bible. It's seriously problematic. And you are a Zionist. You hold to Zionism. All right. Now, I backed it up. He's finishing up his second point. 
where he's basically arguing Ezekiel 40 through 48 should not be interpreted in a literal way. All right. That's that's their argument. And if you if you interpret it in a literal way, then I guess automatically you're a dispensationalist and automatically you're a Zionist and automatically you hold the Christian Zionism. Or I'm just trying to hold to a consistent hermeneutic, but he, they've not even raised that as a possibility. All right, but let's continue. In our purview, what we're talking about sure, now, yeah. but um, to, to insist on literal um, is not something that even the Zionists do themselves as Christian Zionists. Yeah. So this second problem that we've been talking about here briefly, it demands that we reject the sufficiency of Christ, uh, kind of leads into the third one we've hinted at. Um, and the third problem we have with Christian Zionism um, is that Zionism demands that we undo the work of Christ. Uh, so we just talked about how it rejects. Okay, so according to them, we demand, we demand that we, or we demand that we undo the work of Christ. I, 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 this is pretty informative to me because as someone who holds to God making literal promises to a literal Israel that will be literally fulfilled, I didn't know that I was guilty. I didn't know I denied progressive revelation because I literally teach it. I didn't know I denied the sufficiency of Christ because I literally teach it. And I had no idea that I was demanding that you undo the work of Christ. I didn't know I was doing that. But if they can show me how I was doing that, then I'm more, I'm, I, I'm ready to listen. I'm ready to listen. All right. So. I don't think they're being necessarily fair and accurate in a lot of this, but maybe, maybe this is where they're going to be very fair and very accurate. And they're going to demonstrate how Zionist, Zionism, dispensationalist demands that we undo the work of Christ. Let's see how this supposed world, this theological system supposedly does that. Here we go. The sufficiency of Christ and his once for all sacrifice, Hebrews 10. Uh, talk a little bit about how Zionism then demands that we undo the work of Christ. It, it undoes the work of Christ on a different sort of level because between us and God, atoning sacrifice, we, we covered that. But the work of Christ does uh, many things. It also brings reconciliation among peoples. Hmm. And so in Ephesians 2.14, we learn that there is reconciliation, there is restoration between peoples, between Jews and non-Jews, Jews and Gentiles. And it says in verse 14, he himself is our peace. And we could think peace with God in Ephesians for sure, but there's also peace on a uh, horizontal level, right? Yeah. And so it says he has, he excuse me, who has made us both Jew and Gentile in the context one and has broken down. And here's really what I want us to emphasize. He's broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. So through the work of Christ, the wall that divides Jew and Gentile is broken down. It's taken down. It's destroyed. It's eradicated. No more. The church is made up of all nations, Jew and Gentile, as all Christians know, right. And so, and by the way, dispensationalists know this. And so they'll say, yeah, that applies to the church. Hmm. And so, but there's a future for national Israel, not the Jews, uh, but for national geopolitical religious Israel. And God wants it to be that way. But that creates a problem. Uh, it creates a huge problem 
in light of Ephesians two two fourteen, um, what 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 problem would that create? Creates a problem now. Now we have two people of God, right? Two people groups of yes, God. Yes. And here it's saying one is the one new man of God. The the dividing wall has been taken out and broken down. And now if you are trying to uphold the nation, the people of Israel as a people of God that are going to have promises fulfilled to them, but now we have those who are thinking New Testament Gentile believers having promises that are going to be fulfilled. Now we have we have two peoples of we have, God. We have two peoples, peoples of God, and we also have kind of, again, a rewind. Yeah. So if there's a, a unique future for national Israel... Oh, oh man. Okay. This is such to me, this is also just a smoke screen. It comes down to, did God make promises to Israel that haven't been fulfilled? If the answer is yes, then either they have to be fulfilled in an un, in a non-literal way, not to the nation, but to someone else, or they have to be fulfilled. If they have to be fulfilled to the nation of, of Israel in the future, it doesn't mean that there's two people of God. There's the people of God, but na- national Israel and that national identity will have to have the promises fulfilled that was promises to them. I don't know how this destroys anything. This doesn't, it, I don't, I don't understand what you say. Oh, now we have two people of, of God. No, you have the people of God, right? You can, you can call it the church, whatever. You have the saved, right? Jew and Gentile. We're all one in Christ, but as an identity, as a nation, God made a covenant with that nation, made promises to that nation, and they have to be fulfilled as we see even in the new covenant. Literally, the promise of the new covenant is to whom? The house of Israel and the house of Judah. You can try to make that not Israel and not Judah. You can go with your non-literal approach and go, no, 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 no. That's not the nation of Israel. That's not the nation of Judah. Even though it literally says the house of Israel and the house of Judah, Jeremiah is clearly preaching to the Israelites, to the Jews. I mean, give me a break. I mean, that, hey, I'm going to give you this promise, but this promise has nothing to do with you. No, give me a break. The new covenant is made with them. And in that very new covenant promise, if you look at Jeremiah, there's a promise of land. There's a promise of Israel being restored back to the land and and people coming to Zion and, and that they all know God and no one needs to be taught and they have a new heart. All these things about the nation of Israel that's never been fulfilled. Now you can say, see, 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 that's the church. It, it doesn't even describe the church because it, it basically acts like everyone's going to obey perfectly. Well, that's not even the church. So I don't, yeah, I, I, I completely agree that in Christ we're one. Yes, I, in Christ we're one. I completely agree with that. There should be no hostility between Jew and Gentile in Christ. There shouldn't be hostility between Christians who are in Christ. But even Christians aren't even unified. (laughs) You want to talk about having a bunch of different uh, peoples of God. How many thousands of denominations we have where nobody agrees on everything. And we all say that the other people are wrong. And we go so far to accuse many others of saying they're not even in the kingdom of God because we decide that they're not in the kingdom of God. So uh, the point is... You can have, I don't know why there's a problem. If God made a promise to the nation of Israel, then God made a promise to the nation of Israel. And if it's a literal promise to the literal nation, it needs a literal fulfillment. That's the way it works. You say, well, that's two peoples of God. Well, then take it up with God. He's the one who made the promise to them. (laughs) 
right? Like that's not, that's not for me. The issue is when you go to the Old Testament, are these promises literal? Are they not literal? And who are they being given to? If you say, well, it's not Israel, it's, it's spiritual Israel. Well, then, then it's not a literal, then literal Israel, then it's not a literal promise and it's not going to be literally fulfilled. Well, then that's great. That's your hermeneutic. And I would say at that point, then what's literal? I, I, it's such a weird thing. Like we're going to go to Ephesians 2.14 and go, see, see, they're one. Okay. Yeah. Congratulations. I got no problem. We're one in Christ. We're one in Christ. But the nation of Israel has promises that has not yet to been, been fulfilled and it will be fulfilled. So well, that's two peoples of God. Okay. Well then, then how many different peoples of God we have in the body of Christ since there's thousands of denominations and nobody agrees on anything and we tell each other that we're wrong and in many cases condemn other people as being heretics. Supposed to be one church. How many churches are there? Well, it's one church invisible, but visibly we're all divided. Okay, well then maybe we are one body invisibly, but visibly there's a national identity to the nation of Israel. Why can't it work the same way? So the, the, let me state it again. You can come up with all of these points. It comes down to it. When you pick up your Bible and you start reading in the Old Testament, you're going to read about a nation over and over and over, and that's the nation of Israel. And you're going to see God making a covenant with them and promises to them. And you're going to see them fail over and over and over, and you're going to see chastisement and judgment occur and happen to them. But in the midst of that judgment, in the midst of that chastisement, you also see these promises. Promises, 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 promises. And some of those promises go way beyond anything that's ever happened to that nation. And you are left with a hermeneutical choice. Not literal Israel, not literal fulfillment. Or literal Israel, literal fulfillment. It's never been literally fulfilled. Therefore, it's in the future. And that it, you can come up with all the smoke screens in the world, but the reality is it's that simple. Now, when I say it's that simple, the difference is it's very simple in the sense to identify the hermeneutical issue at stake. It's not so easy to figure out which way to go. Because if it was easy, well, there wouldn't be 2,000 years of disagreement. Geopolitical, religious, they're, they're isolated once again from non-Jews. Mm -hmm. And the problem with that is Jesus Christ, our great Savior and Lord, tore that down and to insist on Christian Zionism. Now, wait a minute. This is just a question. This is just a question, Okay. The fulfillment of those literal promises to that literal nation, typically Zionist, if, as they're referring to them, Zionism, as they call it, or dispensationalism, would typically say that that will be fulfilled during the thousand-year reign of Christ, the millennial kingdom. Now, during the millennial kingdom, when Israel is having these promises fulfilled, are they separated? For, are there no Gentiles present? Or are Gentiles present? He says they're isolated once again. Are they isolated? Are they separated? Or are Gentiles, are, are Gentiles, is all the Gentiles left out of the millennial kingdom? No Gentiles are allowed into the millennial kingdom. It's just the nation of Israel. Or you say, well, Gentiles are there, but they can't be a part of that. Are, are you sure? 
Because I think if we read some of those promises in the Old Testament, doesn't it seem to sound like that many nations are coming to Jerusalem? Many nations are coming to Israel? I'm just throwing out a hypothesis. I'm not being dogmatic. I'm not being dogmatic. I'm just saying, if you're going to make a dogmatic claim that Zionism, dispensationalism teach, that you end up with two peoples of God, and then during the millennial reign, Israel is completely isolated from everyone else, I don't know if that's the way it's typically taught. I could be wrong, but I'm I'm calling it into question. Is to to really be anti-Christ, if I want to be provocative, Mm. because we have to rebuild the separation that Christ broke down. And so I like to say what God has separated, let no man (laughs) put back together in Oh, so we're antichrist? So we're antichrist. So it seems that now I'm antichrist. If I simply believe that God made literal promises to a literal nation that has never been literally fulfilled, therefore I look to a literal fulfillment and a literal future. That makes me antichrist. So now because we have a difference in hermeneutic, once antichrist... You believe in a non-literal approach. I believe in a literal approach. And now I'm antichrist. Well, what a, that's, that's great. That's, you gotta love that. You gotta love that. And I guess so if we call you antichrist, so I guess everyone can accuse everyone of being anti, anyone who disagrees with my hermeneutic is antichrist because my hermeneutic is the right hermeneutic because I say it's the right hermeneutic because I've read a verse in Ephesians 2. And of course, he's making all of these claims that supposedly this is what dispensationalists is saying. This is what Christian uh, Zionism, I want to say nationalism, Christian Zionism is saying. But yet there's no quotes, there's no sourcing, there's no, there's no anything. I, I, I don't understand. I don't understand. And, and and typically my understanding is we've been grafted in. We are a part of them. But there's a there's promises that are directly to the nation of Israel. I don't know how that creates two peoples of God. Like that whenever when anytime someone like typically if someone wants to argue about me, well, doesn't that create two peoples of God? You know they ran home and did a Google search and they were reading something on a covenant the- theology site, or they just re- picked up a book. And, and, and it's just like, okay, whatever. At that point, you're just, you, you know, you, there's no point in having a discussion with them because they're just parroting what they've read. The issue, again, these are all smoke screens. Pick up your Old Testament and read. Note, when God makes promises to Israel, are they literally fulfilled? And are they literally fulfilled to the nation? Either whether that's judgment upon them, captivity, or deliverance. Return, restoration. And you're like, yeah, literal, 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 literal. Okay, now you see these promises, have they been fulfilled? Well, no, I don't think they have. Okay, well, based on what we know about the other promises, I think that those are good chances have to be fulfilled literally. Okay, I think that that's a high probability. Not saying I'm 100% right, but it's a, it's a, it's a very good possibility. So if it's a possibility, what would that look like? 
Okay, it would look like this. Okay, and if it's not literally fulfilled, what would it look like? It would look like this. Okay, those are two systems. It's just a massive difference in hermeneutics, but I guess that makes one of us antichrist. The wrong sort of sense. So uh, that that's a actually an, an important matter in all of this. And I think thoughtful Christians, when you bring this up, oftentimes I've found give reason for pause. Mm-hmm. They see it as reason for pause, like, oh, I haven't thought about that. Yeah. Um, we we no Christian wants to to attack and destroy the work of Christ, but your eschatological view, your view of the future, yeah. might be doing that very thing. Absolutely, you're letting that. Nobody wants to attack the work of Christ. Nobody wants to attack the body of Christ. I'm just going to call someone who holds to a different hermeneutic antichrist. But hey, we don't ever want to attack the work of Christ, do we? Do we? That be the driving force in the way you're understanding these things and you're not even aware of it. I think that's oftentimes the case. So hopefully our listeners, even though we're being negative and critical in all of this, understand that we're trying to do so to shock people out of a what would be kind of an antichrist posture yeah. that no Christian would, would do on purpose. Right. So no Christian would do this on purpose. No, no Christian would do this on purpose. No, 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 no. Because only Christians would do their hermeneutic on purpose because any other hermeneutic, no Christian would do on purpose. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's, that's good. Or maybe what you're accusing other Christians of doing, no, nobody's doing that. Okay. You may think that that's the natural consequences of the view, but first you've got to demonstrate what do dispensationalists actually say in regards to these things. And then you have to clearly demonstrate how their view actually manifests in doing these things and, and, um, as, um, denying progressive revelation, denying the sufficiency of Christ and demanding that we undo the work of Christ. You have to clear, they haven't clearly demonstrated other than they quote Ephesians 2 and go, well, look, 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 the wall of petition has been torn down and, and dispensationalism, you end up with two people of God. Do you? Or you end up with the people of God, but as a nation, Israel has promises that need to be fulfilled and they will be fulfilled. Does it create problems? I'll be the first to admit that it creates problems. I don't understand it. I don't understand it, but I'm going to end up with, look, no matter which hermeneutic I go with, I'm going to end up with problems. Either I end up with the problem of, wait a minute, Israel's not Israel. Land is not land. This promise is not literal. This promise is not literal. This promise is not literal. Eight, eight plus chapters of detailed information about how to build a temple. None of it's literal. Like I've got some problems. And if that, none of that's literal, then how can I say anything else is literal? Maybe the Exodus wasn't literal. Maybe that was figurative, right? So then at that point, I think I begin to have problems hermeneutically. Now, if I say, no, it's literal. Yeah, then you're right. I have some problems. Wait a minute. It's going to be a literal temple and literal sacrifices? That doesn't seem to make any sense. I completely agree. 
Why can't, why can't we just acknowledge that whichever hermeneutic, hermeneutic we pursue, we're going to end up with some difficulties, but nobody ever wants to, everyone wants just to make it sound like it's simple, it's clear, it's easy, and you just then can accuse the other people of being antichrist. Well, uh, moving on to the next problem of Zionism, uh, thinking about, you know, if we did have uh, a return to the old um, and a desire to return to the old or looking for that, uh, we see that Zionism, it fails to see the old covenant world as typological. Typolo- dropping big multisyllabic words, that's, typological, that's but it actually is a, a simple idea. Okay, so our problem is, if we hold to a literal fulfillment, then we don't see the typological or typological of the Old Covenant. That the Old Covenant, it was typological. It, it, it offered types. Now, I would argue that the Old Covenant may have pointed... Wow. Well, we'll see. We'll see. We say which way they're going to go here, okay? Because it's like you're you're denying the typological. I, I think once again, dispensationalist or Zionist or Zionism, as they keep calling it, we just hold to things being very literal unless the text states otherwise. Now we can take something. I can take the Passover as literal, literal. Hey, you literally kill an animal, literally shed its blood, and literally put it on the doorpost, and at the same time say that pictures Christ and his sacrifice. Why can I say that? Because the New Testament says Christ is our Passover lamb and points to that as a fulfillment. Okay, then I can say, but it was still literal. So even if you say it's typological, that doesn't mean there's not a literal aspect to it. So then what's the literal aspect? What's the typological aspect? Let's see where they're going to go with this. When we say typological, we're talking about uh, types. Uh, The Bible talks about types and shadows. So in the old covenant world, we have shadows. Uh, And then Colossians 2 says the substance belongs to Christ. What's an example of a shadow? Just so everybody understands what we mean by a shadow. So if we think in terms of shadows, think in terms of that whole, think of the temple. We've been talking about that animal sacrifices, priesthood, all of these things uh, find the substance, not the shadow, in Christ because he is the the great Passover lamb. Uh, He is the ultimate high priest. So that's what we mean by shadows. Uh, That's what we mean by types. But let me just make it very clear. If you're going to point to a type, those types are being based off something that was very real and very literal and saying that it points to Christ. Christ then fulfills that in a very real and literal way. As a lamb was slain and blood was shed, Christ was slain and blood was shed. As a, he, they, as he was a priest, he served as a priest. He served as a sacrifice to priests in very literal ways. So I still don't know how this has anything to do with the issue. It's just, We read the Old Testament and we have two hermeneutical options presented to us, or we have two options to handle the text, right? Maybe there's a third hermeneutical option, but we basically have two options in front of us. That's the issue. You can create all of the smokescreen, but that's the issue. So let's see how 
dispensationalists deny the typological aspects of the Old Covenant because I find it interesting because I have the Schofield Bible and he talks about types. <laughs> he talks about typology here in... Uh, let me see if I have... I, 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 could, I would have to look it up because we talked about this. It's just funny because... Uh, Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Remember he said that dispensate. Okay. I knew, I knew it was here. Remember how he accused, uh, and, and part one, how this podcast, they accused those who are, who are Zionists, those who are dispensationalists that we deny progressive revelation. Here is from page, uh, this is from a section of the introduction of the Schofield reference Bible, 1917, the panoramic view of the Bible. And I quote, here is what he says. The Bible is a progressive unfolding of truth. Nothing is told all at once. And once for all, the law is first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn. Without the possibility of collusion, often with centuries between one writer of scripture takes up an earlier revelation, adds to it, lays down the pen, and then in due time another man moves by the Holy Spirit and another and another adds new details to the whole is complete. That's progressive revelation taught by Schofield in the Schofield Reference Bible, and they accused dispensationalists of denying progressive revelation. And I guarantee—I don't have it here in front of me, but I, we, we, went, we, we did an entire work on dispensationalism. You can go listen to our series. And we worked through the Schofield Reference Bible, and we talked about typology and how he understood typology. So I know he—I know Schofield believed in typology. I know. So I don't know how you can say dispensationalists deny the typological nature of the Old Covenant. It's just not true. In fact, I've heard more type—well, I take it back. I heard a lot of typology from an amillennialist, but he lost his mind. And while well, his name was Harold Camping and I was a part of his school and well, then he started believing the world was going to end in 1994 and we won't go through all of that. And, oh, and he was using a very allegorical approach to Jeremiah and Ezekiel, but I, but I won't digress and I won't go there. I won't go there. I won't go there. I won't go there. But yeah, I, I've learned about typology in pretty much dispensational schools and non-dispensational schools. So I don't know if if any dispensationalist is going to like, we deny typology. That... Now, he's going to needs to demonstrate, though, how dispensationalists deny the typological nature of the Old Covenant. Let, let's see exactly which typological aspects of it supposedly that dispensationalists deny. I want to hear this because maybe maybe they do, we do, I do. Maybe we do. Let's hear. Let's listen. The antitype, which sounds negative, but actually that would be the fulfillment. That would be the substance. Uh, and so we don't want to go. We don't want to go backward, and we don't want to read the old covenant as the ultimate. We want to read the old covenant as that's what we mean by typological. So Israel, land, temple, priesthood, sacrifice—all of these are good and important. Uh, God instituted them, but not to be end game. Uh, not to be the ultimate they were anticipating. And please know how he threw that in. Israel, land, they're good, but they're not the end. So then they just were types. So in other words, if there's promises about Israel and land, then all of a sudden, because of typology, I can come along and go, boom, that's not Israel and that's not land. 
Well, according to typology, then the Exodus was not real. The crossing of the Red Sea was not real. The creation was not. I mean, like if we're going to play that game, hey, hey, Israel land. That's, see, that's not the end game. It was just a type. It was pointing to something else. Okay. So I guess it was literal then, but it won't be literal in the future. So what, when does Israel stop being literal Israel? And when does land stop being literal land? Oh, when there's promises that haven't been, every promise that was made that has been fulfilled, it was literal Israel and literal land. But now that it's promises that haven't been fulfilled, magically, now they're no longer literal Israel and literal land? Because you're just going to throw in the word typological nature of the old covenant or the phrase typological nature of the old covenant. And I'm supposed to go, ooh, ooh. Yeah, that's right. That's right. See those promises about Israel? That's typological. See, it's not going to be literally fulfilled. So it can be typological with a non-literal fulfillment. So maybe Christ didn't really have to die, right? Because it's just typology. To, to, to see them as the ultimate would be regressive. Um, let's not read, let's not think of Jesus Christ as the type in the shadow right. with the substance belonging to the nation right. uh, or it's backward. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I've been in your office before, Mike, and seen pictures of your family. Uh, so your wife, Angie, is, is in the picture and it, it wouldn't be wrong for you to be staring at the picture of your wife. Uh, but if she showed up here at the church and in your in your office and walked into the room and you ignored her because you were staring at her picture, <laughs> that that would that would be pretty whack. Yeah, that's not exactly <laughs> that's not what you want to do, right? Because right. you have her actually there to look at a picture. That's absurd. Yeah, and even more absurd would be if you sent her out of your office. Yeah. Could you go now while I look at this picture of you? Yes, yes, that's crazy. It's you know, totally this makes crazy. me think of you know we talked about Hebrews, but Hebrews nine. So to believe that God made literal promises to literal Israel that will be literally fulfilled in a literal future is to send Christ out of the room, I guess. Who am I sending out of the room? Hey, you got to go. You got to No, The literal fulfillment happens with the literal Christ sitting on a literal throne in literal Jerusalem, literally reigning for a literal thousand years. I don't know who I'm throwing out. Who, who am I sending out of the room? where it's talking about the temple sacrifices, it's talking about uh, the regulations for worship and the earthly place of holiness. There's a tent, and it talks about all these things and how this was all established and set up in the old covenant world, these types, these shadows, even of how they approached God. Um, But then it says in verse 11 of Hebrews 9, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places. So thinking Christ, the substance, the greater, more perfect high priest. Interesting. Yeah. Greater, more perfect. Yeah. Why, why are we going to go to the, to the shadows? Why would we go back? No, it doesn't make sense. You were looking up that passage in your phone and I thought you were texting your wife or something. <laughs> now I got no problem asking a question like that. Now I think Hebrews primarily was written to Jews right before the destruction of the temple. 
because now they're not going to have a temple. They're not going to have anything. And he's like, hey, something better than what existed is now here. And it is Christ. He's the perfect priest. He's the perfect sacrifice. And everything's fulfilled in him. I, I completely agree that that makes perfect sense, especially in writing to people who's getting ready. Their entire life is about to change because they're, everything they know about religion and worship is about to be wiped off the face of the earth in 70 AD because Hebrews is written between 66, 68 AD. All of the warnings and everything there are basically to Jews because their Judaism is about to be wiped off the face of the earth. No problem with that. Okay, got, got it. Now, the issue still is, and they still have yet to address it. Old Testament prophets, prophets, uh, Old Testament prophecies, Old Testament promises are made to the nation of Israel that either have to be fulfilled literally or not literally. If you go with a non-literal approach, what's the basis of going non-literal? When does it become non-literal? When is it? When does Israel not become literal? When does land not become land? When does temple not become temple? Just when you're like, what? so anytime it talked about a temple before, it was a literal temple, right? It was a literal, te- when Solomon built a temple, or when it was a literal temple. When they built the temple, rebuilt the temple after the Babylonian captivity, it was literal. But if there's any promise of a temple that has not been fulfilled, then magically it's not literal. See, that's the questions, you can go to all of this other you're regressive you're go you're doing this you're doing you can make a thousand accusations it goes down to very simple concepts and you can have people on both sides trying to figure it out now i believe i think there's serious hermeneutical issues at hand but they're just making accusation after accusation after accusation. And again, guess what they're yet to do? They're yet to, like, they, they made a claim about progressive revelation that I just clearly demonstrated Schofield himself taught against in his very Schofield reference Bible of 1917. I just quoted from it about progressive revelation. They completely misrepresented that. Not even, even anywhere close to accurate. And I bet you, and I, he's got a section in here about typology. I'd have to find it, but we talked about it in our study of dispensationalism. Now, let's see where they go next. You made the podcast. Since I brought her up. So, no, that's a a great text to bring up. And once again, I think if Christians would read the book of Hebrews thoughtfully and just carry what they learn there to different offerings when it comes to views of Israel, Hmm. um, they would see it differently. They would be more likely to go evangelize their Jewish friends. Sure and tell them about how great Jesus the Messiah is than somehow suggesting that they should be isolated on their own, uh, distinct from the church. They need to be part of the church. Yeah. And let's just even... What? What dispensationalist tells Israel, hey, stay isolated from us and don't be a part of the church? I was in, I was in, I was in dispensational churches that spent, that, that gave lots of money to missions... And some of those missionaries were spent, sent directly to Israel to, to evangelize Jews. What, what dispensationalists are out there going, hey, 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 don't evangelize the Jews. Don't, 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 don't. Don't evangelize the Jews. They don't need to be a part of the church. They must be distinct. They must be different. What are you talking about? I've never seen that. The issue is God made promises to them. We think they have to be literally fulfilled. We don't understand maybe why, how come. It makes no sense. I completely agree. It's problematic. Completely agree. 
So at least if you're going to make an accusation, make it at least somewhat accurate. That's the same thing people do with Calvinists. Oh, if you believe in Calvinism, you won't evangelize. You won't, because there was these people back then. Oh, give me a break. You can always accuse the, uh, people of things. Oh, man. At le- now, if you're going to accuse, by all means, bring out the dispensationalist books that say don't evangelize the Jews. There's probably some dispensationalist somewhere who's probably written something like that. At least you'd be authoring, offering a source. I'm just curious. Hang on. I don't know if I'm just curious. I could be wrong here. Could be wrong here. Um, Hang on. Let me see here. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I, I bet you I could go through some of these notes in the book of Acts from Schofield, and he's not going to say anything at all remotely close to what uh, to what they are claiming or what they're or what they're trying to describe. I, I don't think so. But let, let's just go back and see what they had to say. And think and remember, the church is called the body of Christ. Literally, we mean body of Messiah, hmm. and so. Of all people, uh, Jewish people should be welcome in the body of yeah, Messiah absolutely. because it's the body of Christ. So dispensationalists don't welcome Jews into the body of Christ. Is that the assertion? Is that the is that the um, um, being implied? That that dispensational, like, are you a Jew? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We, you need to be isolated and you need to be, we do not want you in the body of Christ. Is, is that the way that went down? I can tell you this, Martin Luther was very against the Jews. Okay, anti, I think anti-Semitism, anti-Semitic may be an accurate description. And I can tell you this, he wasn't dispensational. I mean, I, like, I don't understand how you can make that assertion. Like, dispensationalists are like, hey, 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 you have to stay away from us. You, you can't be a part of the church. That is ridiculous. It's like, no, be a part of the church. Believe in Jesus Christ. Be saved. Jesus is the answer. Yes, believe in him. Without him, there is no hope of salvation. Yay. Okay, great. Hey, welcome. You're a brother. I'm, you're my brother. We're brothers in Christ. We're one in Christ. Awesome. Oh, but you're a Jew and uh, and Israel. One day Israel will be get promises that uh, that were promised in the Old Testament because well, God made those promises. I don't know how that destroys or causes any problems or any difficulty. I don't, I don't understand how that how I don't understand. Like God can't make a promise and keep a promise. God, if God makes a promise there, but doesn't give me the same promise, then now there's two peoples of God and like God somehow is unjust or unfair. Yeah. Ready to do the next one? We're ready. Let's move on to number five here. Uh, problems with Christian Zionism. Um, that is that Zionism fails to see land promises fulfilled. Land promises. So that's a that's a great thing to think about. You see promises 
Okay, this one is good. Okay, so just for full disclosure here, full transparency. All right. Years ago, we were following the historical lectionary for, for an entire year at our church. And one Sunday, the Old Testament reading was in the book of Jeremiah, where there were promises, but where we read about the new covenant made with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And I saw that and I'm like, oh, I know what I'm going to do today for the sermon. I'm just going to do a basically covenant theology 101. I'll do covenant theology 101. So I'm using Grudem's systematic theology to teach a basic lesson on, on covenant theology. And right in the middle of the sermon, I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This doesn't work. This doesn't work. Literally, it says, not like the covenant I made with your fathers. I'm going to make a new covenant. And it's with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Because I got ready to just fall into, hey, house of Israel, house of Judah, that's the that's spiritual Israel. That's the church. But it's like, wait a minute. Not with the, I'm going to make a covenant not like the one I made with your fathers. That's clearly Israel. That's the nation of Israel. House of Israel, house of Judah. Those are very specific phrases referring to the divided kingdom. I'm going to, he's going to make it with Israel and Judah. And I'm like, whoa, wait, 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 wait. We got a problem. We got a problem. We got a problem. We got a problem. So that's took us we, then we spent like six months. Well, first thing we tried to do, can we identify like a spiritual Israel in the Bible? So we looked up every use of the word Israel. It was like 3,000. As a church, we went through every single reference. Other than maybe one or two, we were pretty much convinced almost every occurrence of the term is referring to the nation of Israel. And so then we said, okay, well, did God make promises to Israel? Yes, he did. Did he make land promises? Yes. Were those land promises fulfilled? So we looked at some possible fulfillment of the land promise. And we think, okay, maybe when they went into the promised land there in Joshua, maybe it was fulfilled. And then we tried to figure out the borders. There were some who were like, well, I don't know if it was fulfilled. There were others who were a little bit more like, I think it was fulfilled. And then I'm like, okay, all right. So if it was fulfilled, then we don't need a future land promise. But if in the new covenant, if the passages that speak of the new covenant, in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, those covenants are made with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. That covenant is made with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. If there is land associated with them, oh, then even if their land had been fulfilled somehow, we know they didn't keep it very long. We know, we know even in judges or even in when they go into Joshua, uh, we begin to read that they don't, they don't conquer all the places they're supposed to. They don't, they don't drive out the people they're supposed to. So we know whatever land they possess, they don't truly possess it because they let other people there that are not supposed to be there. And we know they lose it quickly. So even if they got it, we know they lost it. So in new, if there are promises of the new covenant that also promises land, then we're, then you have, then you either then have to say that land is not literal land. And then all of a sudden the land is not literal land. I do believe there may be a few passages that can go, I think maybe they got the land, but we know, historically, we know they didn't keep it. We know they lose it almost, I mean, I won't say instantaneously, but it feels like from a historical perspective, they lost it quick. And then when you get to the new covenant promises, it seems to also include land. And if it includes land, then do you not make that literal? Let's see what they're going to say. Of land in the Old Testament. Yes. Uh, 
how does that relate to all this? Zionism, you were saying, fails to see that those promises have been fulfilled. Which seems kind of strange because the very thing that they're insisting on is that the land promises be fulfilled. And so what we're suggesting uh, and saying is, well, you don't need to look for them to be fulfilled, at least um, in one sense, because they have been fulfilled. And so I always like to point out that Joshua 21 verse 45 says, that's Joshua 21, 45, not the word of not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Hmm. So at least on one level, uh, when Joshua led the people into the land uh, there, it all came to pass. And so there has been fulfillment so when I'm told that there has to be fulfillment, right. I say, indeed, there does have there to be. There does. And there has been. <laughs> so there is that. Now, to be, um, we need to elaborate a little bit because yeah. there is another sense in which uh, the land promises need to be fulfilled, but not in the sense that Christian Zionists insist. How is it then that it needs to be filled? Well, when we read Hebrews again, Hebrews seems to be the answer book it does. It to really all does. of these things. Yeah. And uh, I, I actually remember when I was a dispensationalist talking to people who were patient and kind with me, but they said, have, have you, have you read the book of Hebrews? <laughs> and I had, but I guess I was, I wasn't open to, to such thinking about these things, yeah. but it does come back to that because Hebrews does say in chapter 12, verse 22, you, this, this is talking to Christians, believers in the first century, you have come to Mount Zion. And to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Hmm. And so there is a sense in which when you become a believer, you, you've come to that place, hmm. to the heavenly Jerusalem. And so um, there, there is that. And so, and, and we would say in light of Hebrews 9, the, it's a better yeah. Zion, yeah. Uh, the heavenly Jerusalem. And then if we go ahead to chapter 13, verse 14, for here we have no lasting city here on earth, but we seek the city that is to come. Hmm. So when we do theology and we try to have all of this fit together as other thoughtful Christians before, of, before us have, they would say the Joshua 21 fulfillment is a near fulfillment. Maybe we would even, even say a typological fulfillment hmm. Because it's not the ultimate. Not the ultimate land, you're saying. Yes. Yeah. There is something greater. So it's it's fulfilled in the short run, um, the, the, the near fulfillment in a typological sense, a typological sense, and yet far fulfillment, ultimate fulfillment, That even that was looking forward to something greater. It was looking forward to what Hebrews 12, Hebrews 13 talk about. There is a heavenly Jerusalem, the Jerusalem from above, uh, and that's the lasting city hmm. that will last forever. And that's the, that's the one we want to be looking for, uh, not one, again, uh, limited to the Middle East. So their argument is, which is the typical argument, okay, Joshua was a fulfillment. Now, of course, there's lots of debate about, just so that you know, there's lots of debate about that. There's, I mean, he, they're acting like it's just so simple. Joshua fixes it. No, he really doesn't because they don't drive the people out of the land like they are supposed to. They never truly have complete control over the land. And oh, and then as soon as you get to judges, you know that they go back into captivity over and over. Like, give me a break. So even if they have it, they have it for a very short time. Now, the issue is, if they had it, they definitely lost it. So when you get to other future, when you get to other prophecies, 
that seem to have never been fulfilled, do they mention land? If they do, their argument is, oh, 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 oh. Well, then what you do is you then say, it's heavenly Jerusalem. It's heavenly land. It's spiritual land. It's not for the nation. It's for the church. And we get the land spiritually. So it's spiritual land. It's not literal land. So even though all the other time it was literal land, now it becomes non-literal land and it's non-literally fulfilled to a non-literal Israel in a non-literal way because of some verses in Hebrews. Oh, and if you just read Hebrews, you've got all your answers. Yeah, because there's agreement on the book of Hebrews. Give me a break. So, yeah, I mean... Land is literal until land is not literal. Promise of land is, is, is literal land until it's not. There's more we could say, but we'll, we're running. Well, we're almost out of time. Let's at least let them finish up this point. Uh, susceptible to destruction yet again. We're looking for something far greater. Yeah. I just keep thinking it goes back to even... The example you used of a picture of someone, you don't want to look at the great substance, the reality, because you're so busy looking at that picture. I mean, to think that you're so focused and worried on a temporal land and we have to have the land when there is this lasting city that is to come, a heavenly, a greater, more perfect, I mean— you would, I mean, you hear that and you think, of course I'm going to be about that. Of course I'm going to be about Christ, the greater, more perfect high priest. Of course I'm going to be about these things. But this stuff creeps in. It definitely creeps in. And we're not saying that um, God doesn't like creation or physical things. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, he does. He made it. Um, so when we're talking about heavenly, we're not talking about this ethereal, right. lacking substance. The Lord is going to, to there is going to be a great recreation hmm. uh, with a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, but that's different than what Christian Zionism is talking about. Right. Well, let's move on to a sixth problem with Christian. And we'll stop right there. We will stop right there uh, because, well, we're going to run out of time. Um, yeah, I was looking up a, a couple of things. I was going to look up a bunch of scriptures reference to the land. Um, just, just from one source, the promise of land belonging to the children of Israel is permanent. Even when Israel was expelled from their land, which has happened twice in history, God promised they would return. Even if you've been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your ancestors. You will take possessions of it. Deuteronomy chapter 34 through 5. The promise is part of what is today sometimes called the Palestinian covenant or the land covenant, which we read about in Deuteronomy 29 to Deuteronomy chapter 30. And foretelling of the removal of Israel from their land, the Palestinian covenant anticipated the Babylonian captivity. 
uh, and the Roman destruction of Jerusalem in, in 70 AD. In both cases, the promises of the covenant held true. The Jews regained their land and their nation, 537 BC, and again in AD 1948. Israel is still in the land, despite the fact uh, that, their, uh, that their conquerors, Babylon and Rome, are long gone. All of this reinforces the promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that God established Israel and their land as his chosen people, Deuteronomy 29, 13. The land covenant also contains some special promises to Israel that many believe will not be completely fulfilled until the millennial reign of Christ. And you can go read Deuteronomy, you can read it for yourself, the Palestinian covenant, read Deuteronomy 29, 1, all the way to chapter 30, verse 10. According to Genesis 15, 18, and Joshua 1, 4, the land God gave to Israel included everything from the Nile River in Egypt to Lebanon, south to north, and everything from the Mediterranean Sea to the Euphrates River, west to east. On today's map, the land that has stated... Uh, the land God has stated belongs to Israel includes everything modern Israel possesses, plus all the t- uh, territory occupied by the Palestinians, the West Bank, and Gaza, plus some of Egypt and Syria, plus all of Jordan, plus some of Saudi Arabia and Iraq. Thus, Israel con- uh, currently possesses only a fraction of the land God promised, and the rest of their inheritance likely awaits on the return of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. God has given his word that the nation of Israel will never cease as long as the sun shines by day and the moon star sh- and the moon and stars shine by night but if you look at the land that was promised that they've never they've never had all of that and to say that they had would be just a complete misrepresentation uh, would would uh, it would just be a complete misrepresentation of it so i mean that's just one source and we can we could um uh see here um, let me see here. I'm going to look at something. I'm going to look at something. I'm looking. Yeah, there's there. Uh, oh, the new covenant. Uh, the new covenant was originally given to Israel and includes a promise. Are you ready? A promise of fruitfulness blessing and a peaceful existence in the promised land. Ezekiel 36, 28 through 30 says, then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. That's Ezekiel 36, 28 through 30. Right there. That is the new covenant promising land. And what they're coming along and going, no, 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 no. That's not literal land. That's not when it says you're going to live in the land. No, no, no. It's not literal. It's heavenly land. It's spiritual land. Oh, and it's not even for you. It's not even for the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It's for the church. So land isn't land. Israel isn't Israel. It's a convenient hermeneutic, you know, because, well, then you can just make whatever not literal when you don't want anything to be literal. So there you have it. I knew, I knew, uh, I didn't know if Jeremiah, Jeremiah may uh, have a a land connection to the promise, but clearly Ezekiel does. And that's new covenant promise, meaning that's way after Joshua. So way after Joshua, God says he's going to make a new covenant with them, different from the old covenant. And it includes, ladies and gentlemen, the land. Now you can go try to say, oh, no, no, it's not literal. It's not literal land and it's not literal Israel. Well, I I guess it's kind of weird that God would say, I'm going to make a covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, but I don't really mean you. I mean the church and I'm going to give you land, but I don't really mean the land that I, that I promised you from Abraham, Isaac. I don't remember. It's going to be a, a, 
a, a spiritual land for a spiritual people, and none of it's going to be literally fulfilled. But hey, it's all good news. The issue is, are the promises literal? That's that's the issue. And so, so far, and again, once again, they didn't, they didn't even bother to explain how, they're just like, it's just so weird that these people would be, you know, focusing on land. It's just so weird. It's just so weird that they would focus on land. It's not about the land. It's about God seemed to make promises to a literal nation and those promises seem to be literal. And so we would think they need to be fulfilled in a literal way. It's about a hermeneutic. It's not about land. So there we have it. All right. That's 67 minutes. I wanted to, I wanted to finish it desperately, but we'll stop right there. I need to write down the time. Uh, let's see. We've got about 14 minutes left. We got about 14 minutes left, but we'll back it up. We'll listen to that land thing one more time. Um, if we have to, oh, that's some, that's some irritating, that's some irritating things right there. That's some irritating things, but that's okay. That's okay. We, we did, uh, I think we did pretty good. I think we did pretty good there. So I'll go, I'll, 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 we'll, we'll read from some of those articles that I pulled up right there. Just, and that only took a couple of minutes and, and, you know, they, they could have, I mean, you, you can say, well, they were in a hurry in their podcast. They could have broken each one of those points down one point per episode and then take, taken eight months to work through these and at least try to be fair. But we'll stop. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. I hope that was beneficial. I hope that was helpful. You can hear me. I'm a little frustrated because I just don't like being accused of all of these things. I just don't. I don't. It's like, these are just complete. I mean, look, it's complete fabrication to say that dispensationalists deny progressive revelation. When I have the Schofield reference Bible, which would, I think, uh, you know, this, or, yeah, the Schofield uh, study Bible, the Schofield study system, as it was called in 1917. And guess what? He teaches progressive revelation. Says that we deny the typological understanding of the old covenant. I, once again, I could find it in the Schofield Bible where he talks about typology. It's just not, it's not, a, all of the accusations are just not fair. I can understand saying the problem is dispensationalism has these problems. And I would be like, you're absolutely right. They have those problems. And then you could turn around and go, your position has its own level of problems. And I do that all the time with my own positions. And like, I'm a dispensationalist and I'll be the first to say, hey, it, it creates, well, I don't like to say I'm a dispensationalist. I like to say I'm a person who reads the Bible and tries to understand it hermen in a hermeneutically consistent way because I'm not loyal to any system. That's why I'm more than willing to say, ah, there's a problem right there. I got no problem saying that because I'm not bound to a system. But those who hold to this, these some of these accusations are not fair or accurate. And if they are fair and accurate, shouldn't have any problem pulling up all the literature that would demonstrate what you're saying. Okay, thanks for listening. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. I'm going to take a deep breath and I'm going to relax. Everyone have a great night. God bless.